0: Lord, we love you, and we are really excited to move into this season where um, we're going to consider the incarnation, and we're going to um, focus on the significance of you coming into this world, and we're so excited about that as we gather here, and we know as we gather with our, our loved ones and our friends, we pray that our focus would just be on you and we would help others place their focus on you as well. This morning, we invite you to be our teacher, Holy Spirit. Um, It has been so um, encouraging and challenging to go through these amazing inspired words from the Apostle John. And as we're going to finish up chapter two this morning, we pray that you would continue to um, convict us and um, direct us equip us give us hope give us help anyone here or online that's listening that doesn't know you we pray as we we always do that you would bring salvation to those you would bring a surrender to their heart and whatever it is that has kept them away from um, embracing you jesus we pray this morning that they would let go of that and they would embrace you. We thank you for, man, another year of you working in this amazing family, Calvary, La Habra. Thank you for being so gracious and merciful and loving. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for your continued love. We pray, Lord, that as we share with our loved ones and our friends in this season as well, we would invite them if they're, they're not plugged in somewhere, they're not following you, we would have that strength and that, that boldness. Remind us, Lord, just to invite them to come and listen, to sit it at your feet and to hear about you. Use this season, we pray. Use this day. Use this service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, why don't you turn around and say hello to some people around next to you before you have a seat. Hello, and on behalf of Lori and myself, we wanted to just extend a warm Merry Christmas to you and your family. What do we focus on most of the time?
1: Whether it's our food, our prayer time, we love to make Jesus the center of our Christmas.
0: That's what it's all about. I was thinking about that that song that just references, Oh, come let us adore him. And it's come to the city of Bethlehem. It talks about that. and recognizing Christ our Lord and then adoring Him. And then as we do that as a family and as we do that as a church family this year, uh, we have a lot of different events. Beginning really with what was the top of the list there?
1: The married's Christmas dinner. And that's going to be December 9th at 630.
0: For you that are married or just about to get married, we'd like to invite you out to that. And then uh, we would just encourage you to look at our holiday calendar and see what else we have for Uh, Christmas celebrations, especially uh, Christmas services, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day this year. The times are a little unique, so make sure you check that out, but just know that we are gathering to adore Jesus. Uh, So invite your friends and your relatives, and let's come out and celebrate the significance of his birth. Merry Christmas.
1: Merry Christmas. God bless you guys. There's no lonelier place on earth for a man to be than separated from God. He faced himself, he faced his temptations, he faced his worldliness and came out wanting to be right with God.
0: It's a biblical precedent that God uses complicated people.
1: It's all fleeting, as fame is fleeting, so are all the trappings of fame. Do you have any regrets about what you've done? I forgave myself. And God forgave me, I figured I'd better do it too. Once again, we will be meeting at Regal La Hara on Monday, December 5th for the premiere of The Redemption of an American Icon. Scan the QR code to get your tickets. See you there. Hi Calvary La Habra, here are our upcoming events for December. Join us Friday, December 9th at 6.30pm for our marriage dinner. We'll be meeting at local homes and coming back to church for dessert and continued fellowship. On Sunday, December 11th, we'll be having our orchestra and choir for both services. Following second service, we'll be making tamales down in the cafe. Come join us. On Wednesday, December 14th, join us in our sanctuary for our church Christmas party at 7 p.m. On December 21st, we'll be having our Advent service. This year, for Christmas service, you can join us Christmas Eve, December 24th, from 11 p.m. to 12 midnight. Or, you can join us December 25th, on Christmas Day, from 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. On January 1st, we'll be kicking off the year with our New Year's service from 10.30 to 11.30 a.m.
0: All right. How are we doing? Good. It's good to be here. Let's turn our Bibles over to First John. We're in chapter two. How many of you remember the correction of a parent? Raise your hand. Who raised some of you wolves? How many of you remember, let me just personalize this, I remember my father, very very gentle man, didn't have to raise his voice a whole lot, but when when he made his mind up that I had crossed a line and he felt that discipline was necessary, he was very consistent with that. And I, I really didn't enjoy those moments with my dad when he's like, you have crossed a line, And in thinking about that, the majority of the time, he was just trying to have a positive influence on my life. He was a God-fearing man. He really was a man that recognized the authority of God, and he wanted his boys, I have one brother, to recognize the authority of God. And there were times when, man, he, it was just, it wasn't right, it wasn't fair. I had all of these, like, thoughts about my dad laying down the law. The older I got, I realized it wasn't so much the heavy hand of Fred Cook. It was the heavy heart of Fred Cook that began to really touch his son's life. And I believe that is what we have been going through as we've been looking into this epistle of aged the Apostle John. A heavy heart, not a heavy hand. A heavy heart because he, he, he just wants his children. Not his biological children, but the spiritual children. The, those that are followers of Christ, those that have been redeemed. Those that make up the family of God. He just wants them to line their life up with God. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, that whole phrase, that that idea of fellowship with God, what what is that? that? That is an intimate, personal relationship with God as he designed that relationship to be. What's our part? We line up with his will. We line up with his word. If you weren't here on Wednesday night, we spent an hour and ten minutes looking at the will of God, how to find it, how to understand it, uh, because it was the latter part of our our study Sunday morning, and the will of God will last forever, but the world is passing away. Amen? You guys remember that? But that's the heart of John. And so the, the warnings from a heavy heart of don't walk in darkness... Don't don't walk by the influences of the world. That that was what my dad was having to deal with, a son that was being influenced by the world and not by God. So don't don't walk in darkness, but walk in light. Walk according to his word. And, and, And he knows that we're not perfect. He knows that we'll struggle, just like our human parents knew that we would struggle. And we would need to be realigned and redirected. And so he would give the warnings. He He wouldn't back off and not talk about the necessary things we would need to hear. No, a loving apostle, John, stepped forward and wasn't afraid to talk about sin. We raised our hands. How many of us still sin? We aren't going to do it again because then... But we all raised our hands. And if you didn't, you were lying, proving to us that you were a sinner. We all sin. And so he gives us that warning. And, 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 and he gives us the warning of not loving one another. He gives us the warning of, of doubting, having doubts in our view towards God, doubt in our relationship with God. He gives us these warnings. He gives us the warning of not loving the world. Don't love the world. Nor the things of the world. Man, just the, the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, the, the pride of all of that's just, it's passing away. So don't 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 love any of that. So he's he he's warned us about in, in general terms the conflict between light and darkness, the conflict between love and hatred. And now he's going to talk about a, a third con, a, a conflict, which is the conflict between truth and error. Because it's not just enough to walk in, in the light or to walk in love. We, we have to walk in truth. And we live in a world today where our culture, not, not God, not his word, But those in our culture that are denying God and denying His Word, turning their back on God and turning their back on His Word, are are saying, we as a culture, you as an individual can define truth. There's no absolute truth. But as we go through this section, this aged John that wants us to have a right relationship with God is like, no, 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 no. We're going to have to talk about this. There's, There's... There's error, there's truth. And we must walk in truth like we walk in the light and like we walk in love. Because what we believe absolutely plays out in how we behave, how we live our life. And so he's going to talk about truth and then he's going to talk about the tragic consequences of not obeying the truth or turning from the truth or not representing truth. And he's going to emphasize the seriousness of the matter beginning here in verse uh, 19 where, the uh, verse 18, I'm sorry. Little children, it is the last hour and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that, is, that it is the last hour. He's going to He's going to talk about truth and he's going to warn us about the consequences of turning from truth. But he's going to emphasize the seriousness of this matter by using these two unique terms. The last hour and the term antichrist. And in using these terms, he's stressing the importance. He's he's wanting to stress the importance of Christians having the ability to identify falsehood and lies and false teachings that come from those who are opposed to God. Not limited to, but also including the the future figure, (laughs) A, a, a final world ruler who will arise in the end times that we know as the Antichrist. The last hour, or the last time, some of your Bibles might even say, but the last hour is a term that refers to a specific period of time. A period of time, for you note-takers, that began with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the new covenant moving forward. Since that time, God has been doing a new thing. All of the Old Testament history was moving that way, was preparing the way for the work of Jesus on the cross. All history since that time is, is, is merely preparation for the end when Jesus will come and establish his kingdom on earth. And so John stresses that believing truth is absolutely essential in light of that reality. Even all that much more as we see what the Bible says about the end and the return of Jesus. A lot of people read this and they say, okay, it was the last hour in John's day. Why has Jesus not yet returned? Well, understand that when God's operating on his timetable, he's not operating on Eastern Standard Time or Mountain Time or Pacific Standard Time or your time or my time. He is operating on His time. We're familiar with that verse 2 Peter 3.8 that says that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And, And Peter there was alluding to Psalm 90 verse 4 where it says for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. God is timeless. That is He as an eternal God dwells above and apart from the cause and effect flow of time as we perceive it. So when the scripture talks about the last hour, they're not speaking about a duration of time, which is the way you and I calculate time, the tick-tock off of a clock, second by second. Since the first coming of Jesus... We're literally in the days moving toward the end times when Jesus will return. That specific period of time is what John has in mind. So by understanding this, since his death, burial, and his resurrection, and his ascension, we have been in the last days, or what we see here, the last hour. The last hour began back in John's day, and has been growing in intensity every since then. There were ungodly false teachers in John's day, and from that point forward over the century, century after century, there have been false teachers, false doctrine, lies that have been intensifying, growing greater and greater greater in influence, greater in number. And so John's referring to a specific time, but his primary focus, again, is on the kind of times that we need to be aware of, especially as we're getting towards the end. Paul said the same thing and had the same thing in mind when he wrote 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 and 2, when he says, Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times that some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. In his second letter to Timothy in chapter 3, 1 through 5, he talks about the last days. But know this, that in the last days, troublesome, perilous times are going to come. What's that going to look like? Men are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control. And the list goes on all the way down to denying the very power of God. they got a form of godliness, but they deny His power. So, like, like, like Paul, John now wants to observe, or have us observe, the kind of times, specific characteristics, specific things that are going to mark the end times specific things that will grow with greater intensity, specific things that we must be aware of and avoid. And so it's important that we know what we believe and why we believe it, as it refers to just the time that he uses. and He uses this term, the Antichrist. The Antichrist is used only by the Apostle John in the New Testament. in um, here, verse 18, again in verse 22. Um, in chapter 4, verse 3, then the second letter, uh, verse 7. And the term antichrist describes three things. Number one, a spirit in the world that opposes and denies Christ. Number two, the false teachers who embody that spirit... And number three, a person, of course, who will head up the final world rebellion against Christ. We'll see him surface in Revelation chapter 13. We'll be getting to that next year. First John 4, 3, John says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard who was coming and is now already in the world. The spirit of Antichrist has been in the world since Satan declared war on God in Genesis chapter 3. The spirit of Antichrist is behind every false doctrine and every religious substitute for the realities Christians have, and find in Jesus Christ. The prefix anti actually has a dual meaning. It means against Christ or instead of Christ. Satan is fighting Christ and his eternal truths, and he is substituting his counterfeits for the realities, the truths that are only found in Jesus Christ. And So the spirit of Antichrist is already at, work in the world today. It will eventually lead to the appearance of a final world ruler who will again arise in the end times. That figure is called the little horn, by the way, in Daniel 7, the prince to come in Daniel 9. He who uh, does as he pleases in Daniel 11. He is the foolish Uh, worthless shepherd in Zechariah 11. He's the beast in Revelation 11, 13, chapter 14 and chapter 19. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he is called the man of sin or the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, the one whose coming is in according to the activity of Satan. But we know him most as the Antichrist. Antichristo against, and in place of Christ. And just to whet your appetites for where we're going to be going in January sometimes. Sometimes, sometime in January. As we open up the book of Revelation, there are a lot of people that are looking at the world today and they're like, where are we on this this timetable that's moving towards the end? And a good read, I don't have time to get into all of it, would be read through 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 where where Paul is dealing with that same question in the church. And he's going to talk about the return of Jesus. He's going to talk about the rapture of the church. He's going to talk about this Antichrist surfacing. And he's going to talk about this. Just remember this, okay? That, That Antichrist is not going to surface, as we'll see him surface in Revelation chapter 13, until something is removed from the planet. Raise your hand. Raise them both. If he removed us right now from the planet, Antichristo would be able to, like, say, check me out. So that's where we're going. That's what we're going to teach. This is what I believe we're watching unfold before our very eyes in this world in which we um, are are living in. But truth, truth matters. Does it really make a difference what you believe today? Absolutely, we are living in the last hour and the spirit of antichrist, that which opposes absolute truth of who God is. And everything God says is already at work intensifying from the very death, burial, and resurrection forward of Jesus in this new covenant era. And so we're living in that last hour. John is going to give us three outstanding marks of false teachers um, who are controlled by the Antichrist. These are some really important things to highlight um, in our, our particular day. So, verse 18, little children, <clears throat> it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were of us. So how do you how do you discern the presence of false teachers in the church? John is writing to believers. He's writing to, to, to churches in and around Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira. He's writing to congregations. And he's like, you need to know that there are are those in the church and outside of the church that are saying things and teaching things that oppose the very nature of God, the person of Christ as you go through this book. They oppose and and, and challenge the idea of sin. They oppose and, and challenge the idea of love. You can go through the whole book and go, well, well, everything he's warning us against, a lot of that was what, was creeping into the church through false teaching and false teachers. And at the top of the list, we don't have time to get into it, but they were the ascetics and the Gnostics. And one of the things these guys had in common is that they believed that they had superior knowledge. And people who feel like they have superior knowledge are not open to conversation. (laughs) I'm right, you're wrong, that settles the conversation. (laughs) And anything that doesn't line up with what they believe, they want to cancel that. They want to challenge that. This whole cancel culture thing was not just something that happened in the last couple of years. This is something that Satan has tried to do from the very beginning. Cancel out God. Cancel out his word. Cancel out what he says. Cancel out what he commands. Cancel out what he wills. It was creeping into the church. Whenever God raises up a genuine teacher to represent his truth, Satan will do his best to plant a counterfeit to combat that. You listen to a lot of people in the church today and you get the idea that there is no such thing as a, as a false teacher in the church. It seems today that many churches almost Anything can be seen as truth. And don't call false teaching out. There's no room for that. If you call out false teaching, you're narrow-minded. You're bigoted. You're a religious terrorist. If ever we live in a day when we are inundated with false doctrines, especially the false doctrines relating to the person of Jesus Christ, it is today. John says there is and will always be false teaching and false teachers in the church. And the presence of all of that false teaching intensifying is an indicating indication that we are we are in the end times. So what what kind of marks then? Well, here the false teachers depart from The fellowship. They went out from us. They were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be revealed or manifest that none of them were of us. The word us, again, referring to the church, to the fellowship of believers. Not everyone who is part of an assembly of believers is necessarily a member of the family of God. The New Testament talks about the church in a couple of different ways. It talks about it in terms of local assemblies, like Calvary, La Habra is a local assembly of believers. John was writing to local assemblies, in Ephesus again, in Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamos, in Sardis, Philadelphia. But the New Testament also speaks about the the, the worldwide family, the, 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 the universal aspect of the church. Paul would label the universal church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as the body of Christ. When a sinner trust Jesus as their Savior, they are born again, and they are, they are immediately born into the family of God, the body of Christ, Christ's spiritual body. They would then identify themselves if they should, as they should, start being part of a local assembly, they would identify themselves as, as part of the church. But the point here is that a person can belong to a local church and not be part of the spiritual body of Christ. They are among us, but they are not of us. The counterfeits. John's like, we just need to get that straight. Satan's strategy in destroying to, you know, the, the, the church one of his strategies is, is to embed counterfeits. They're going <clears> to <throat> sow, sow seeds of false teaching that are designed to lead sheep astray. The counterfeit, or a counterfeit, implies the existence of the real thing. Why do people not counterfeit $3 bills? Um, Aaron, could I have you turn some of this AC off behind me? I'm, just, um, I'm losing my voice. Thank you. So if you girls are hot flashing here, I'm so sorry. I'm moving the other direction in life. There we go. Thank you. But there's a reason we don't, we don't, um, why do people not counterfeit $3 bills? There's no such thing as a $3 bill. People don't counterfeit that which is not real. Satan counterfeits what is true they're among us but not of us and so one of the evidences of true christian life of genuine transformation is a desire to be with the people of god 1 john 3:14 we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren we now share the same nature second Peter chapter one, verse four. The nature of God. We are indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. Romans chapter eight. So in our DNA, as new creation, as adopted in, grafted into the spiritual family of God, and divine nature now is indwelling us. We we, we now look at that and we, we now enjoy. We naturally are drawn together. We naturally enjoy sharing life with one another. The word, the word fellowship that he talks about, the, the importance of chapter 1 of our fellowship with, our, with God and our fellowship with one another, that, that whole fellowship means to have in common We have fellowship with God because we are lining our life up with His Word. We have fellowship with one another because we all are collectively lining ourselves up with His Word. And there's been a unifying through spiritual regeneration. We have been made one as the body of Christ. The natural progress is to be together. That's the new nature. And evidence of being born again is our love for one another. Our desire to be together. There are many divisions among the people of God today, but all true Christians have things in common, regardless of church affiliation. We believe that the Bible is God's word. Amen? Amen. We believe that Jesus is his son. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, John would say we lie and do not practice the truth. Profession does not necessarily mean possession. Many of the false teachers today that are promoting heresy started out in local assemblies. They were, they were with us, but not of us. So they went out from us. I have a friend that used to be a Mormon, and, and every now and then he'll call me, we'll talk, and, and he has some, some pretty good understanding about the history of that, that whole movement. And, 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 and he told me from the get-go, he said, you know, Lance, he says, I've always admired religious people. I've always looked at their... Their moral convictions. I've always looked at at, at that and, and went, man, I admire that. I want to be part of that. What could be wrong with that? When when people are looking out for others? What could be wrong with that? When there's certain standards that that and, and laws that govern society through a particular movement that seems to, to, to hold the family unit together and hold the he goes, what's wrong with that? I remember, you know, I, I that the, the religious part of it is what he would say. I just I thought it was right and I wanted to be part of that. And then he said something to me one time about um, I, I realized that doing right is not the same as being right. He said I had to get past this idea that, that somewhere along the line, even even people with, with have, have different views of God and have, want nothing to do with his word can do good things, moral things. And I began to see some chinks in the armor, and, and he says, well, the, the biggest mistake anybody ever made to me is they told me to read the Bible. <laughs> and, I, and I began to, to see these contradictions from a man, Joseph Smith, who when he was 14, was part of the local church, the Christian church. And revival was breaking all all out around New York City. And this 14-year-old individual, Joseph Smith, felt that something wasn't quite right. I didn't know which one to join. And so he has this whole theory about how he... he he sought God and God the Father and God the Son showed up to him and, and told him this, that all of that, as a revival was breaking out in the Christian churches in New York, is evil and it's wrong. And now I'm going to show you what's right. And so three years later, an angel appears to him and gives him these two stones, a Urim and a Thummim, which is an interesting thing if you know what that comes from the Old Testament. But it it allowed him then to look through those stones at these tablets, these golden tablets, with what were written on the tablets, a language that nobody has ever seen. There's no archaeological evidence of this, but it was uh, some sort of Egyptian hieroglyphic thing. And, and, And there the book over the next three years of Mormon would be defined to him, pinned down by him. And in that book of Mormon, if you just, he he was among the church, now outside of the church. And huge differences are pinned down in that book relating to the person of Christ. You just start there, because that's where, where John's going to go. You really want to get down to truth and error. What is someone's view of Jesus Christ? We are about to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And if we had the kids up here in their play, you could picture the sheep. You could picture the, 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 the wise men, right? You could just go there in your mind, and you'd picture Joseph and Mary, right? That they, 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 they come out, right? What's so unique about the relationship? They're holding a baby, Who's the baby? Jesus. Jesus. How was he conceived? Some of you have been in the play. I know you have. <laughs> You're like, i got to go back to my lines. So, yeah. The Holy Spirit did this miraculous conception. But then when you go through just one part My friend used to say, he goes, I would look at this, and he goes, I can hang on that, but what I can't hang on is a 17-year-old young man in the 1800s saying that's heresy and that God the Father has not always been, but he started out as a man just like you and I, and he got his own planet, and then he evolved to deity. And came down here and had sexual relationship with a woman by the name of Mary and impregnated her. And now that one that is born is the spirit brother to Lucifer. So we just go through our Bible and we're like, no, 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 no. The Bible says that Jesus has always been, that he is God. Uh, Satan is a created being. One's a creator, one's one's a creator. We could just, you follow me? How far it can go. And here we are, 100 some odd years later, whatever it's been, and we're like, wow, look at how many people follow the teachings of one who was among us and went out from us. And and, and I'm not here to, 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 to shine a light on just one particular movement for the sake of calling out the movement although it needs to be called out and it's it's heretical but that's one example of how the enemy works and how we need to look at that i think we all would agree that that's a good example Go, oh yeah 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 now what other ways might the enemy be working in our world or even in the christian church today and we'll get to that in just just a moment So the departure of these false teachers, it it serves as an important purpose to make clear to the true church that false teachers are not part of the true church. And you can identify them. But you, talking to you and me, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Real quick, which clock is right up there? I'm getting a countdown. What time is it, everybody? We got time. My zero's about to come up on that thing, so I don't know. There's a demon in that clock. So... Now, now 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 the focus is on us but you have an anointing from the holy one and you have you know all things and and <clears throat> and I have no writ <clears throat> I have not written to you because you do not know the truth but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth but you John creates a strong contrast between you that are born again You that genuinely make up the true church. You that have genuinely given your life to Jesus Christ. The Jesus he's talked about here in chapter 1. The one from the beginning. The one that we've seen with our eyes, heard with our ears, and our hands have touched. The the son of God. You. A contrast between you and, 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 and them. You who have had your life altered by truth. And contrast to those who are of the spirit of antichristos and are opposing the truth. You have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Anointing, in the Greek, it's it's charisma. In the Old Testament, they would anoint symbolically prophets, priests, and kings. By bringing them in, it would be very. It would be a ceremony and they would be recognizing the office. Here's what they are going to be doing. And they were set apart by God for that specific purpose. And one of the ways they, were, they would symbolically recognize this as God's doing is they would pour oil over their head. And it was a way of saying God has set them apart for his specific purpose as a prophet, a priest or a king. And, and John, in that sense, is using that same picture to help us understand who we are and what God has done, that true believers have an anointing from the Holy One, Jesus. Thus, we have been set apart for a specific purpose the very moment that the Spirit indwelt us, the very moment that we were born again. So in contrast to false teachers who promote themselves and the lies that they teach. True believers. We're not promoting ourselves. It's an inside job. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit in order to succeed the calling of God upon our life. The result of this anointing is that all true Christians have knowledge of the truth. That's what he's saying when he says, now, you've, you've been filled with the Spirit and you know all things. Now, he's not saying like you're omniscient or you're a you're, you're know-it-all, like you know-it-all, like when you were in junior high. He's saying, no, 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 it's not that. He's saying, you know the truth because the Holy Spirit, who is truth, indwells you. To know Christ is to have a personal experience with Christ. To know Christ, well, to know Christ is to know him who possesses, as Paul would say in Colossians 3 or 2, verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so you know the truth because you know Christ, who is truth and teaches you truth. And because you have believed the truth, we recognize a lie when we encounter it. False teachers deny the very basic truths of Christianity as taught by Jesus and revealed in the Bible, but because of this anointing, we know how to distinguish truth from error and and, and false teachers and what they bring. How many of you as you're listening maybe to someone, not here, but someone on the radio or, or, or TV or whatever, you're, you're hearing them say things that don't line up with what you've learned in the Bible. And you just get unsettled in your soul. Raise your hand if that's happened to you. Ooh. I could have some fun with that, that little response right there. But What comes to my mind is that John was on something. The Holy Spirit knew exactly what believers living in the last time would be facing. And he wanted them to know. You need need to have this personal, intimate relationship with God. So I'm going to warn you about these certain things. Don't love the world. Love one another. Don't walk in darkness. Don't doubt your relationship with God. And know That the enemy is subtle and clever and deceptive. And wherever God's truth brings life, whether it's a person, a marriage, a family, or a congregation, the enemy is going to do his best to plant something there to oppose that. To oppose everything God is and everything God does. But but, 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 check this out, children. You've got the Holy Spirit in you, the teacher, affirming truth. And it's not just a feeling. I read it. I can comprehend it. I can understand who who Jesus is. Can I understand what it means to be eternal? It's a tough one. God's always been. That's a tough one. I can't get this little Lance Cook peanut mine around that. But I believe it because God said it. I hang my hat on his authority. Not mine. Not another man's. And those that were among us, but went out from us, showing that they were never of us, they're running around, denying the superiority of God's authority. They, 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 they might mix it. They, oh, yeah, I believe this, but I don't believe that. And ultimately, it's... It's their position. It's their beliefs. It's what they feel. It's their authority. These people that are following these movements, such as Mormonism, ultimately, if you looked at, at where, what they're following, they're following the authority of a man. A man who says an angel appeared to him. Go through the book of Galatians and, and just see how wise that is to, to, to have another gospel or another message or something added to this message or something that contradicts this message that we have it's foolish and there's a warning and you would back off from that if you, if you believed in the absolute authority of God why do I have authority in my marriage to be the leader of that home Because my dad said so? I'm not done. (laughs) But you're right. Right? Why do I have authority over my children to raise them in the ways of the Lord and tell the state to stay out of my stuff? Because I say so? Because he says so. He commanded me. Why do we as a church have the authority to say this is what marriage is? This is what gender is. This is what sex should be and will be when we teach our children. When we practice ourselves as married one man to one woman. Who says so? God says so. Amen. So this is the point. His authority, by virtue of who he is, the God who has always been, who created you, by the way. We're the clay, he's the potter, never get it backwards. And he's given us his word, truth about life, the origin of life, when it begins. He's the one who deems value on life. If God, through his word, begins to describe life in a womb as something that is purposed and valued, that's what I will do as well. Culture is not going to redefine that to me. His authority reigns supreme. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so if God's word says that he made me male and he made Lori female, I'm all over that. She could come to me, I'm not going to use her as an example, but another woman could come around me and say, here's the pronouns I want you to use. I'm going to say, who says? Well, Facebook's give me 750 to choose from. So I chose to identify as this. Well, that's your authority or Facebook's authority. Who is that to God and God's authority? Are you excited about the authority of God right now? Doesn't he do life well? He holds the universe in the span of his hand. By all things that he created, they consist. I'm going to let him be God. He's doing a great job with the sun, the moon, the stars, this earth. He's doing a great job with every single thing he's created on this planet. The balance of our ecosystem, it's because all things consist by him so I look at my life. He sent His Son to redeem me. Talk about power. He transformed us. And He transformed us with a purpose in mind. Part of that is not just salvation, but sanctification. That whole process of making you and I more into the image of His Son. That's His will for our life. That would bring glory to Him. In his word, he he talks about every aspect of this life. My life, your life. He talks about sin. I could disagree with it and say, I'm not a sinner. I don't need you, Jesus, as a Savior. Doesn't change who he is. Doesn't change the plan of redemption that was formed by him before the foundations of the earth. It is. He talks about life. Truth. When I think about life. I looked to the truth of his word. God's word, God is truth. His word is truth as it relates to life, as it relates to death, as it relates to eternity, as it relates to marriage, as it relates to family, as it relates to how I, I interact with human beings on this planet. Every aspect of life God deals with, it's truth. And the enemy wants to oppose that. In John's day, and every day since then. And because God knew that, part of the role of the Holy Spirit would be a teacher. The very Spirit of God in us that indwells us, Christ, to whom is all the riches and knowledge, is in us, and His Spirit teaches. That's why you're convicted when someone comes and says you should do something that's wrong in your eyes. You're convicted because it's wrong in God's eyes. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 no. I don't care how many people, really smart, educated people are going to stand in front of me and say men can have babies. I just, and I'm not, I'm not trying to fund this. I'm just, I just, I listen to that and I'm like, you want me to go along with that? The spirit of God within me is repulsed when he hears that. Because that's antichristos. That's the spirit of antichrist already at work op- opposing God, his authority, and what he created. Amen? All right. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. In the Greek, that's an ongoing possession of truth. Why does John put it that way? Because he saw the evidence of God's truth playing out in their life. In verse 21, and that no lie is of the truth. Now, that that statement implies a couple of things. First, nothing untrue, a lie, comes from true Christian doctrine or teaching. Number two, since God is the author of Christian truth, and since God is truth and cannot lie, no lie comes from God. Jesus said concerning God's word, John 17, 17, your word is truth. Notice he did not say your word is true. It certainly is true. But he said your word is truth. In other words, God's truth is what makes everything else true. 22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? (laughs) He is antichristos. Who denies the Father and the Son? Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So what else marks these false teachers and false teachings and false movements? The denial of Jesus as the Christ. What is that? Wow, well that's to deny that he is the the anointed one. The second person of the Godhead who come down here and took on flesh. Born in the manger, as we'll go through this week or month. But grew up to die on a cross and died on the cross to be buried and was buried, to be raised from the dead and was raised from the dead. To deny that. They'll deny that. They confess that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, then they belong to the true faith. If they deny that, they're antichrist of the spirit against and opposed Christ, opposes Christ. And John says that the denial that Jesus is the Messiah is also a denial of God the Father. He is antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. I've talked to so many Christians that are like, Lance, you know, I'm I'm all cool with what you teach and I'm all cool with what you say, but, you know, we're just a little bit different as far as what we believe in Jesus. Same God. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. No, 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 no. Your view of Jesus is completely unbiblical. It's not true. So we don't have the same Father. It's not the same God. Jesus said in John 10:30, "I and my Father are one. You cannot separate the Father and the Son since both are one. You cannot choose God and reject Jesus Christ. They are one. You cannot say that, that we believe, as the Bible teaches in the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. Let us make man in their own image. I got time to get in the Trinity. But you you can't say that. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are eternal, which the Bible teaches. And then come along and say, well, the Son is different. He was a created being. You follow me? That's inconsistent. That's a lie. And oftentimes, more times than not, False teaching, John says, is going to stem from a wrong view of Jesus. Interesting. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. To have the Father means to have a spiritual relationship with the Father. Again, this is more than just disagreeing over doctrinal statements. Relationship with the one true living God is involved. You cannot believe wrongly about Jesus and God and yet be in a right relationship with them. The only way to have a right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise That he has promised us. What is it? Eternal life. It is really important that you stay with the truth of God's word. The word, the message that Christians have heard from the beginning. It's all you need to keep true to your faith. Listen. The Christian life continues just as it began through faith in the truth of God's son and the truth of God's word. Someone else comes along and says got something new and it contradicts who Jesus is, what Jesus said, what we have had from the beginning and heard from him in the beginning, it is not to be trusted. Therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. This means two things to accept it and let it control you, to control your thinking and your actions. And this is the promise that it's promised to us if you allow that to happen, eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you in verse 26. Another point, they're just deceptive. Our world today is filled with deceiving doctrines that are aimed at the church. Doctrines that question or deny the true nature of God. Doctrines that deny God's authority as supreme as we've talked about. Doctrines that deny His word being inspired, inerrant, eternal, or absolute. Doctrines that deny God as the origin of life. Doctrines that deny a fetus as a life, doctrines that deny or question the true nature and gender of mankind, doctrines that say we can do with our bodies whatever we like, doctrines that deny God's plan for marriage and family, doctrines that that remove God out of our history, doctrines that deny God's church as being essential, doctrines that are aimed at removing God from our culture, doctrines that say humans have rights to do wrong while in God's economy there are no rights to do wrong and I can go through my list and take another 20 minutes. Did you notice how it's intensifying? Maybe I'll print that up and put it on Facebook with the rest of it. Well, they'll remove it from Facebook if I put that on Facebook. but it's in his book. Just read his book. They're trying to deceive Christians into conforming to our culture rather than engage with our culture and challenge our culture to repent as Christians should be doing. The deceivers, the antichristos, used to say Jesus is not the answer but it's intensified it's intensified to where they now now they're saying Jesus is the problem and his followers are the problem but 27 the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you have do not need that anyone should teach you. He's repeating this again. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it is, has taught you, you will abide in him. John just kind of ties it up going, listen, listen, listen. The Holy Spirit's in you, man. You don't need someone to teach you the basic truths and teach you all this nonsense. Because the Holy Spirit helps you recognize truth. How does the Holy Spirit do this? Through, through Scripture. Remember Paul would say in 2 Timothy three sixteen, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, what's right, for reproof, what's wrong, for correction, how to get right, instruction in righteousness, how to stay right, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life coupled with the knowledge of God's word is sufficient to guide us to truth so that we will not be pulled away from truth. And now little children abide in him and when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Listen, have you ever been home and your house is not ready for guests? Just leave it there. Just picture your house in its worst not ready for guest setting. You have an animal, put them in the midst of all of that. And someone that you know. And someone that you respects comes to your your door unexpected. Follow me through. Just humor me. And they knock on the door. You look at your wife. Your wife looks at you. Oh, no. It's you fill in the blank. It's your boss. It's whoever. And the last thing you want them to see is your house a mess. The last thing some of you ladies want anyone to see is you before your you. (laughs) The you in this room is different than the you that woke up this morning. We know that. Right? But what if they just came and walked in just the same? That's the picture that John's showing here. It's not like a choice He's coming, and you're going to be like, ah, I'm not not ready yet. Hold off. That's what you do at your house. Hold on, hold on. Pick this place up, kids. No, no, no. He's picturing that moment when he appears. You're either going to be confident because you're walking in truth. Here we go. Or you're going to blush with shame. I thought I had so much more time. I was watching the vote of a church movement, a, do- a denomination this year. I thought it would be interesting. The church started as a very biblically based movement, and they just got away, and they were voting thousands of people in a room and they were voting on the inerrancy of God's word. Can we change? Imagine walking into this room prayerfully, your Bible believing, carried your Bibles in your heart and in your hand and you're like in agreeing with God's word. But just, hey, today before we close the service out we're just going to vote. And I bring into question just something that is so glaringly not in line with God's word let's take a boat you'd be like Lance I can't believe you're going down that road what if I told you in the church in America just let's just hang out in America for a minute That for the last 10 years Christian leaders have been teaching the wrong thing and congregants have been voting in Lies. God won't judge us on this or that, but he will. When he comes, I do not want to be part of that church. I do not want to go, look, yeah, I understand what your word said on marriage, but culture began to press in, and, and you know, we just didn't want to get, you know, it was getting intense God, it was just, I know what your view on marriage is, but the culture began to say this. I know what your view on gender is, but the culture said this. I know what your, your position on life is, but the culture began to say this. And all of a sudden, the church is looking like the culture rather than the culture being influenced by the church. These are the days we're living in. This is the beginning of my rally cry if you can't tra- tell for this church. This is where we're going in January. Some of you have really been stirred up in your hearts. I know you have. Not just today, but in this season. You're stirred up in your hearts. You want to do something. Amen? Amen. If that's you, I want you to stand. I'm going to pray for you. You really feel like uniquely stirred up. Like God's calling you to the front line. He's calling you. He stirred you up. And he's like, I want to do something. You're, you're You're not going to... Root others on right now, I'm gonna do something in your life. Father, you see the people standing. You stir our hearts up for a purpose, for a reason. We see what society is doing. We could go through society from big tech to entertainment the human government. We see the opposition against truth, against you, against the church. And we stand up because you've stirred us up. And and we ask for a touch of your Holy Spirit right now. Come upon us. Empower us, Lord. Make clear the vision and the path that you have for us. Go before us open doors as individuals, marriages, families, and we collectively pray for this church, Lord. Use Calvary La Habra. We pray that when you come, we would be confident that you'd look at this church and go, that's my kids. I have filled them with my spirit. And they've been following my spirit. They've been promoting my truth. And Lord, we pray as we do enter into these next few Sundays finishing off this year, that we would, man, we would be really excited about what you're doing. It's alarming to see the world and how lost it is, how confused it is, and how torn apart it is. But it's comforting to look at the body of Christ and to see us knit together under you as our banner, as our authority, as our king that's coming back for us. And to be knit together in your purpose. We love you. We pray these things in the matchless, powerful name of Jesus.